0: Chelsea, have you ever heard of zebra mussels?
1: Well, wouldn't that be like the muscles a zebra has?
0: You would think they're actually the mussels that you find in water. They are incredibly tiny, incredibly painful to step on. And just if they're in your lakes, they're, they're naturally found in, I, I believe, Russia. But... They've been finding them in more and more places in North America. And have you seen in, in BC, they have the Don't Move the Muscle campaign or Don't Move a Muscle? Okay. It's a campaign to make sure that people are checking their boats before they go in the water because zebra mussels are making their way into most of North America. They're destroying ecosystems and with it, they are just destroying tourism because you can't bring your boats there anymore. Your water pipes are destroyed, and nobody wants to go in the water because they're going to cut their feet on these shells. Yeah. BC has taken the steps of preventing boats from other provinces coming in from going into the water without being first checked for these mussels. They have caught some along the way that might have them.
1: I've seen those checkpoints.
0: Uh, Yeah, it turns out that this is basically a useless step that they've been doing. So they've found zebra mussels now in aquarium water in people's personal homes.
1: Where is it coming
0: from? It's coming from moss oh. in the water. It's, <laughs> yeah, people are riding their freaking boats in these <laughs> aquariums. No. So basically, everything that you might put in an aquarium is not sanitized before it goes in there. And it's also helping spread the movement of zebra mussels across North America. Interesting. Yeah. It's, a, a big sign of uh, ecosystem collapse, which is terrifying and something we'll probably talk about in a later episode. <laughs> but it also is something that we'll get into a little bit in this episode. And the other thing I want to talk about today, have you, has Knox watched The Bigfoot Family yet? No. Okay. It's, it's a new Netflix episode or movie that came out. It has drawn the ire of some group. Do you want to guess who?
1: David Duchovny. <laughs>
0: Ooh, that would be no, no. good. It is unfortunately <laughs> the war room of the Alberta government.
1: Why? What's going on in <laughs> <on> the <this> show?
0: <laughs> it is because they believe that it puts oil, specifically the oil sands, in a bad light. So oh, they no. have formally written a letter to Netflix to say that this is bad propaganda that needs to stop. Bigfoot? Against oil. But these are both things I show? thought would be great for the episode we're talking about. And by the way, the Alberta War Room, which looks about uh, thwarting propaganda against the oil sands, costs the Alberta taxpayer $30 million a year. It's wow. kind of ridiculous.
1: That's nice of them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what
1: do they have that, a good it in it?
0: Well, no, it's more so that the bad guy is oil. It's just the oil yeah. industry is bad, is kind of what it gets to it's kind of like the very funny and outlandish i'm gonna have show. to
1: watch this i'm very confused
0: but with that it is going to come up somewhat in our talk today let's move on into our official episode
1: yeah moving on
0: from the unexplained to the mundane come join us on our journey to the friend. Welcome back to Journey to the Fringe. We are officially moved on and totally past UFOs. We don't even want to think about those things anymore. What we are now going to look at instead. (laughs) What even are UFOs? Don't worry about it. We're going to talk about cryptids today. Also known as cryptozoology. It is a very contentious and fun thing to read into. We're going to break it down into a a, a nice linear thing group of things that we want to talk about. And then like our last deep dive, we're going to look into certain categories within this group that we both enjoy and would like to gently massage into your skulls through your ear muscles. (laughs) We're first going to start it off with the generally accepted definition of what cryptozoology is. We're going to actually talk about after that what a cryptid is. We're going to talk from there about what it takes to become a discovered species, historically important discoveries would meet the definition of cryptids, how many species were discovered in 2020, why cryptozoology is important to conservation, and cryptids that science is seriously looking at at this point in time. At this point, let's just go right into what Wikipedia... The first thing you're going to see on Wikipedia's front page for cryptozoology, and that is cryptozoology is a pseudoscience and subculture that aims to prove the existence of entities from the folklore records such as Bigfoot, the Chupacabra, the Mokole Mbembe, and other <laughs> such creatures. It's a fun word to say, mokele Mbembe. And that's which from... I'm sure we're going to talk about that one later. Okay. <laughs> But I I think the key here is to really look at the term pseudoscience. So pseudo, whenever you see that term, it literally means fake. It is Greek for fake. So what they're saying is this is this fake science. It's also why if you want to write a book under a name that's not yours, that is a pseudonym, a fake name. Or if you want to fake your death, you are committing pseudocide, fake death. Mm. That is what... Wikipedia says cryptozoology is, they also go into a a, a longer description of the entire group in itself of people describing themselves as cryptozoologists and saying they are practicing pseudoscience, along with the fact that they are not using scientific method to reach their conclusions they're coming to. And that's therefore why we can't trust what they're coming up with. That's not very nice of Wikipedia. It's, It's fairly slanderous right off the bat. Yeah, I'm, and it's kind of funny because I've always thought of like pseudo something. I've never said it means fake. I've always thought it means like somewhat or fringe. No, it does mean fake. Yeah, pseudo. Now, if you actually look at the term cryptozoology, what what it literally means? Crypto means hidden. Zoology means the study of creatures. All this is is the study of hidden creatures, and this is something science has accepted happens on a regular basis for a long time. But the thing is, they don't really remember that part. They always think about it as zoology. Because when you describe the creature, everything that was done up until that point to find it is zoology. It's only the fact that we don't acknowledge these creatures that makes it cryptozoology.
1: So on this one, it's specifically pseudo, like fake zoology. Yes. Is what falls under this. So they're automatically. Well, and that's assumed. why
0: it, it's interesting, the crypto versus pseudo, where one saying, no, it's just something we haven't seen versus one saying, no, you're practicing fake science. Yeah. And I thought <laughs> it's really important to really get into those, like the difference in definitions there. And it's, it's really, yeah. it's exactly like what we've been talking about with ufology. I'm sorry, we do need to bring this up. It is coming yeah. back into our lives.
1: You lied.
0: I did. But that you. <laughs> Is very important because the study of anything in the sky takes place, at least in science's mind, when you replace that U with an I. Everything else is a fringe topic outside of the normal science discovery.
1: I was just reading about that today and Jacques Vallée actually said you can't qualif- you can't quantify this as science if you can't use what would constitute science. You can't provide that kind of proof about UFOs.
0: It doesn't fit into
1: the box that you're looking for.
0: That is the next step. So what does it actually take to become something that's acknowledged by science? It's hard to specifically say. So what BBC said is you need to first determine, let's say you you find a Bigfoot in the woods. We're just going to use that because that is the tantamount cryptid that everybody knows. So you find a single Bigfoot in the woods. First, what you have to do is go into... The scientific endeavor of looking through all past scientific discoveries and seeing if this is something that has been described in the past. If it has not been described in scientific papers, you need to, after that, confirm that you have substantial enough evidence that you could publish and describe that species that you're now looking at in a detailed enough manner that science will accept this This creature as real. Generally, what that means is you either need a body or you at least need some type of DNA evidence to back up what you have. Generally, okay. scientists aren't going to accept just a picture you have or a video of it. It's unfair, but that's they do have a very high standard to have a scientifically accepted species.
1: Well, as you would expect a science to yes. be.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. For science is a fickle mistress. The thing that is interesting about this whole method that I've described BBC also said that they looked at about 500 different creatures that were discovered in 2011. And they, on average, found that it took from citing or finding this evidence about the creature to science actually accepting this creature as real. It took 20.7 years to actually wow. have science acknowledge the creature.
1: That is a long time. And also, it doesn't surprise me from everything that I've been reading about all the animals that have yeah, been...
0: And it, it, Really turns out science is a very conservative way of life. It's a very conservative viewpoint. And it honestly, when you're looking at it, it always falls back to the skeptical viewpoint. And until you come up with significant enough evidence or critique, it's not going to change.
1: Yeah. Well, you wouldn't want someone just being like, okay, I accept everything that you tell me as a scientist. scientist. Yeah. I agree with
0: that. (laughs) (laughs) So, And we're talking about just a little bit before this evidence that you might have to describe the creature. Generally, we're talking about three different types of evidence. DNA by far is the one that is most likely to get you what you want in, in terms of getting discovered. So first off, they describe it as autopsy evidence. That's either a body or DNA evidence of the creature. The next level is what is described as concomitant evidence. Generally, what that means is secondary information and i really think this is close to close encounters of the second kind where what we're talking about here is not necessarily having the creature but you have the tracks or you have markings on trees or you have feathers or you have anything else that is a physical evidence that this creature was here at some point in time or a creature matching the description of what you've been talking about is there third off what kind of evidence are going to accept is witness evidence as in someone saw it or you saw it, but there's no there's no physical proof of it. And really, it is interesting that they've been talking about how cryptozoologists and ufologists don't know how to follow a scientific method. And right here, we just went through J.L. Um, Allen Heinick's three levels of UFO encounters.
1: Yes, we did.
0: Because we got a body. Close encounters of the third kind is interacting with a, uh, a humanoid. We have concomitant evidence, secondary evidence, where there's physical description left, and then we have uh, a witness evidence. Now, they didn't describe how far away that thing had to be, but witness evidence is the same nonetheless.
1: Yes, but this is for a cryptid, not a UFO. We need more.
0: Well, well, it could be an unidentified flying object. It really could be.
1: We need its DNA.
0: (laughs) We need its DNA. Yes. These are what levels... Science wants to at least acknowledge these creatures as real things. I want to go over a few of the more famous cryptids that came to life from meeting this threshold over the course of the years. Now, a lot of these are going to be a lot older than you'd expect. Nonetheless, they were at some point thought of as just imaginary creatures that surely could not exist for science would have found them before this. First and foremost on this list, I always think of is low, uh, gorillas in general. Now, they weren't discovered until the early 1900s and always were considered just something that was a fable of African culture. Now, for the largest of the great ape group, that, that is surprising as hell that we didn't know about these things until the 1900s. Yeah. Chelsea, do you have any that you want to go over?
1: I always like the Komodo dragon one that was thought to be a cryptid actually like the story because humans always come in and we're just so destructive as we like to shoot at things to make sure that it's not hostile is it peaceful yeah so (laughs) komodo dragon as well fell under the cryptid umbrella at what time being deemed a hoax and a rumor well
0: there was sorry can you describe this creature to me
1: yeah he's long and dragon like yeah and how big can they get they can get super big I believe like they six, can
0: get up to 8 feet long
1: yeah probably 6 to 8 feet long yeah. probably bigger
0: more or friggin- less look like an iguana
1: yeah but gigantic and have
0: it not not poisonous, it, but not poisonous but gangrenous bites so if you get yeah. bit by one of these things you're gonna rot from the inside out
1: I saw one in a zoo once and I don't think they breathe fire but I could be wrong
0: but if somebody Anyhow. said they did, I would believe them sometimes. <laughs> I would.
1: I'm a scientist.
0: Also, they <laughs> can reproduce asexually. Like they are a very bizarre really? creature. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a And it's weird sure. because I, I, when was I listening to this? I can't remember. But they, um, they reproduce asexually, and the mothers will reproduce males asexually. That's
1: weird. I yeah. didn't know that.
0: But fact. like, they they inhabit small islands. They're giant lizards that aren't aquatic necessarily they will be but they aren't that are (laughs) six to eight feet long yeah and basically we call them dragons so like the dutch are the ones who discovered this and their scientists when they first saw this it just kind of laughed it off and like sure you found dragons and eventually we came to a creature called a kimono dragon
1: yeah so the Dutch there's a Dutch colonel officer lieutenant lieutenant Stien van Hensbroek that was like I'm going to prove this is a thing that you guys are talking about. He takes an expedition to Komodo Island to see for himself. And to his surprise, he was aghast. They existed. So he killed one. It was six, a six-foot Komodo dragon and brought it back. So everyone still didn't believe him, even though he brought back a six-foot dragon. So he went back in 1926 and re- killed and returned back to Amsterdam. Is that Dutch? Yeah. They returned back to the Netherlands and with two more in tow to prove that these do exist. Were they, have they left alive, alive or alive. dead? They were dead. Okay. He murdered them and brought them back to prove to his, his superiors that they in fact existed. And I guess it might have been kind of enough at that point to prove that they existed. So I like that one.
0: Yeah, and they are truly a bizarre reptile. Like, nothing like them exists in the world. And they're on their own little islands that aren't inhabited by people for the most part. I I mean,
1: you got the right idea.
0: And what you're going to find with a lot of these that we're going to talk about, they're in places that humans don't generally want to go. (laughs) So next up is uh, just one of my favorite bastard childs of Africa, the Okapi. It's not quite a zebra, not quite a giraffe it's not quite a wildebeest it's some sort of weird mixture of all three of these things it's got a stubby little neck for a giraffe it's mostly wildebeest colors except around the chest region where it's got stripes like a zebra and it inhabits the deep forests and jungles of africa and wasn't considered a real creature until the i believe 1902 it's early 1900s when we finally found a, a live specimen for the most part all the tribes in that area always had stories about it. They never questioned its existence, but science didn't discover this until 1902. Pandas, I believe, came about in the early 1900s as well. Chinese always had stories about it, but they did live in the mountainous regions of uh, Sichuan and other mountainous regions of China. <clears throat> and. The ocean, we have, of course, the giant squid wasn't formally acknowledged as this. Or sorry, that's actually called the colossal squid. It wasn't acknowledged as a species of squid until 2004, I believe. And this one, one, I'm just going up out of my head. But yeah, these are over 40-foot-long squids that sailors have been talking about since, Hmm. basically, we've had writing. Yeah, and they believe this is where the idea of the Kraken came from. In 2004... We finally got a specimen that we were able to study. And I can't remember what year, but one washed ashore in Japan. Uh, This is more me going off the top of my head than anything else. I'm not looking at my research notes for this one. It is a fairly recent cryptid. They actually call them megafauna, which I love as a term. So if you're looking at what has been discovered in the last little while, megafauna. Is something that's fun to look at. And really, if you want to look at cryptozoology, you need not look any further than the entire history of Australia being discovered. Because basically every creature we found there, just science is like, no, that can't anything. be real. That's not real. The the biggest case in points here are the kangaroos, which just nobody believed anything about it. It's like a deer, but it's on two legs and it hops and it just might punch you in the face if you get too close. It will fuck you up, <laughs> and that's that's just not one species. That's an entire like grouping of things. And then there's, of course, the platypus, which mm. is the most bizarre of mammals. It is poisonous, which is just bizarre. It's got a bill, which no other mammals have, and it lays it's eggs like a duck. yeah. It, it it's a beaver duck. You are entirely right. That is poisonous. I don't so science place. heard this said no nah, that doesn't exist and just kind of didn't accept it for a long time also one that i found hilarious there's a certain type of sea turtle that i believe oh sorry what's his name the guy who is known for genetics i don't know anyone
1: that's known for
0: genetics the british guy with the giant beard he looks like karl marx
1: santa
0: yes is santa the ge- known geneticist He studied the Galapagos.
1: Oh, Darwin.
0: Charles Darwin, thank you. So Charles Darwin was also one of the first people to find a particular subset of sea turtles that had never been recorded, but they had been known about for a very long time, but a sample never could be brought back to anywhere to be studied because they were known as a very delicious species. So you would get hungry on the ship ride home and eat it and say, yeah, I just kind of know about this thing. You Probably know what? Our shell.
1: podcast is really just about how horrible humans
0: are. Most yeah. Of the
1: yeah. <laughs> I would never pick so, a turtle for being delicious.
0: I've never had a turtle.
1: Don't no, say I want
0: to. And of course the most recent on our list of creatures that have been acknowledged by science would probably be what's known as either the growler bear or the pizzly bear which is a hybrid of a grizzly and polar bear what's that
1: I was laughing to myself when I read Pisly pisley yeah
0: so it I can't remember which way it goes but depending on which one's the mother it's either a growler bear or a pizzly bear so it's a it's a hybrid of a grizzly and a polar bear, which due to global warming, their ecosystems are getting closer together. So they yeah. have been having babies together, which are sterile for the moment. And in 2006, I believe, was the first acknowledgement by science that a growler bear or a pizzly bear is a real thing.
1: Interesting. I mean, eventually it was bound to happen. And that's probably what they're going to just become in the future. Well, is yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, Pizzly, I believe is if the mother's a grizzly and it's a growler. I believe if the mother's a polar bear,
1: I would think it's, yeah, I guess. It's so.
0: kind of versus there's a, a Liger versus a tigon, and it's yeah. one, if the tiger's the mom and it's a, it's the other, if the lion's the mom.
1: we were just talking about Ligers the other night over dinner.
0: So majestic. As you do. Yes. So science has had this, as we can see kind of a know-it-all look at the world over the years of saying, no, this thing surely can't exist, only to be told eventually that there's enough evidence to say this thing does exist. So we have talked about what evidence they're looking for. Generally, when we're looking at cryptids, they're going to fall into certain categories that we're actually talking about. And there's a few different lists out there. Uh, Chelsea and I both have our own lists that we're going to talk about. Uh, Why don't you go first on this?
1: Me first? Okay. My list... Is by George Eberhart and he separates cryptids into ten distinct classifications of these mysterious animals and they're known as Eberhart's classification. The first point is the distribution anomalies. These are known animals reported outside of their normal range. For example, non anom- anomalous and anomalous. Anomalous, big cats of the UK. Just no yeah. not in the That's, UK in general.
0: Yeah, they're actually big cats in most of the world where um, they, they should have been living. There are still reportings, and we're going to talk about this later, of big cats in those areas.
1: Yeah. Number two is undescribed, unusual, or outside variations of known species. For example, giant anacondas reported from the Amazonia or the spotted lions of East Africa.
0: And um, sorry, Chelsea, just um, to, to bring in what we were talking about in the uh, pre-session in this, I, I believe invasive species are also going to fall into that first category.
1: Distribution anomalies? I Yeah, mean distribution
0: with, anomalies. So things that were not, warming. with global warming, and these are always going to be things that are going to be changing, but this is going to be something I'm going to talk about later as to why it's important that we study cryptos. So just, we're talking about the zebra mussels. And the these would be things that market. would fall into things that aren't in their normal habitat.
1: Yeah, pisleys, uh, zebra mussels—not
0: quite pizzlies because that is a new species.
1: And they are. But the I whole guess
0: fact, but the whole fact that their mom and dad are in ecosystems that they wouldn't normally be in would make those polar bears and grizzly bears um, technically cryptids in those areas. How Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, so now I'm going to go for number one. <laughs> <laughs> number three oh, there's a new venture for us okay number three survivals <laughs> of recently extinct species for example the ivory-billed woodpecker presumed extinct in 1960 and the tasmanian tiger which was just, yes. just
0: declared extinct
1: in 1936 or the stellar sea cow presumed extinct in 1768 i love that they were presumed extinct
0: all I- of which are I, yes. I've seen a sea cow. Now I, I'm sad. I've never seen a stellar sea cow. They were all... What's
1: coming to mind for a sea cow is a manatee, which are the yeah. most majestic creatures of the ocean.
0: But we didn't even see the stellar version. Like, like, I want to see the stellar version of this majestic creature. One probably shoots rainbows
1: or something. Yeah. And hence, one extinct in 1768.
0: Or oh, it's rainbows. We harvested its rainbows. So harvested all the of...
1: Rainbows. <laughs> By stellar sea cow. We need your rainbows.
0: And that's why there are less rainbows now than in the 1760s (laughs) and prior.
1: So all of these are still occasionally claimed to have survived to the present. Honestly, not sure why they're still occasionally claimed to still be survived. I'm not sure if
0: they are still survived. This also could be the fact that you could be looking at cryptids that no longer exist, but you want to prove existed at some point. So that is yes. a different category. So if you're looking for a specific type of dinosaur that you believe could have existed, that is different than looking for a dinosaur that has survived to the recent day. So that's why they're making that distinction.
1: Okay. Um thank you. Number four oh. is survivals of species known only from the fossil record into modern times. So for example, one that you like to say. it okay. Which
0: one? Which Oh, Okele Mbembe. Yeah,
1: that guy. Of Central Africa, and sometimes described as a living dinosaur. So he's still yeah. spotted. It is known yeah. only from the fossil record.
0: Yeah, people like to make an argument that Gigantopithecus, the large version of orangutans, is what wild men are that we see, Bigfoot, in at least some parts of the world. So you could say that some Bigfoot-like creatures fall into this category, as well as their, uh, the Megalodon. The largest shark ever to exist. Yeah. There are still people that believe that still exists and it would fall into this category if you were searching for that.
1: There's so much in the ocean to be scared of. On a tangent, that's why we we're talking about the Lager Ocean. Here, because we were talking about if we were to be reincarnated, what animal would you come back as as my and mine was a megalodon. I think it was a great choice. Yes, that is where I am. Okay, number five. <laughs> Lingerlings. Or survivals of species known from the fossil record much later into historical times than currently thought. So for example, the woolly mammoth presumed extinct in twelve thousand BCE, but occasionally purported to have survived into later eras.
0: Yeah, a lot of people believe they at least made it to the point where we were constructing the pyramids. So I believe it's about six thousand years ago. So and that's this is the category that we were talking about just earlier, where you are studying an extinct creature. But you either believe a there's an offshoot of that species that actually existed and we haven't proven yet or B, it existed longer than we believe, but it is no longer in existence.
1: Yeah, my point exactly. Number six is animals not known from the fossil record, but related to known species, such as the Andean wolf or the striped manta ray reported by William Beep in the 1930s. Number seven is animals not known from the fossil record, nor related to any known species, which would be Bigfoot or sea serpents.
0: Yeah, and a lot of the more paranormal cryptids that we would talk about, if Mothman does fall into this, he would fall into this category. Deer man, reptilians, a lot of things fall into this category that are a lot more out there that Those are all we're not saying that they exist, just that they fall into this category.
1: Okay. Number eight is mythical animals with a zoological basis. So the griffin, which is partly inspired by don- dinosaur fossils in Central Asia. I guess a dragon could be there too.
0: Oh, yeah. And a lot of people will say this is why there's dragons all over the world in cultural mythology is because dinosaurs were everywhere. And there are deserts everywhere. And basically, those have the perfect conditions for creating fossils. And it's funny that all dinosaur or sorry, dragons are reptilian in nature and that's exactly what dinosaurs were
1: interesting i had never thought of that in all my thoughts about dragons um number nine is seemingly paranormal or supernatural entities with some animal-like characteristics so, for example, Mothman, Black Dogs, Vampires, some fairies from Forklar, which I don't really agree with this.
0: It doesn't have to be its own category. We have talked about it before in my mind. Yeah, like where I, I said we should say Mothman falls here, that's where I believe it should fall. It's something that it falls yeah. right outside of the
1: And I'm just going to interject with what I put in here. Just for the purpose of our episodes that we're going to do on Cryptids, at least this is my thought on it. I think we're going to admit those famous beings from this. I prefer to focus on things like would essentially be if found classified as a legitimate animal. I don't think Mothman fits into that. I would not consider it under this. Gnomes, Elves, Fairies, Dogman those I think are definitely something that's...
0: I honestly think, and this is the hard part because we're talking about with the term cryptid or cryptozoology. It's the study of creatures, hidden creatures. So Mm -hmm. where do we actually draw the line with creature? And I think it's Fair to say that when we're talking about this, it's things that couldn't talk back to you. Is that fair?
1: Yeah. So, these what we're, we're looking else, at right oh, now, for sure, talk. And with gnomes, yeah. those guys talk
0: for sure. Mob oh, Man, yeah. I've but they're both cigarettes. Yeah, that's, Mothman's hard, hard as hell, especially when you look at it with John Keel's stuff. But I prefer um, to look
1: at it as these are animals that are just not discovered.
0: Yeah. And then, we're not talking about paranormal
1: on that yeah but yeah. that's just an aside on there an interjection yeah. and then
0: you, you do get into that weird spot where there are ufos interacting with bigfoots and yaoi's interacting with ufos and places it's that cool, have right? significant sorry what's the uh poltergeist that have significant poltergeist problems that also have bigfoot sightings don't worry so we know this these are cool. very those we're yeah. so we're talking about higher level entities aren't cryptozoology there's going to be a real big gray area with at least bigfoot falling in there and then cryptozoology is normal creatures that might be found
1: okay number 10 known hoaxes or probable misidentifications oh the jackalope which is debunked for sure it was just glued on antlers
0: well it's not only that there was a specific disease that impacts rabbits that gives them horn-like protrusions on their head it's just they were incredibly small and then they were exaggerated through taxonomy yes
1: and i did also hear slash read slash find out somewhere that these gross can pop up all over a rabbit's body not just on its head as
0: yeah do you want to go over i just want to talk about number two again yes
1: undescribed because unfortunately
0: unusual. i i screwed up number one how we talked about it so i feel like we should go over it again
1: okay number two is undescribed unusual or outside variations of known species the giant anacondas reported from amazonia or the spotted lions from east africa
0: And I I think in this category as well, falls things that aren't necessarily outside of their species, but are different enough in some way that they warrant description by science. Does that make sense?
1: Because they're so not like colors are so off.
0: No, not necessarily just that. But I'm saying like... Um, if you went and looked up the North American brown bear, it will give you a general size, would it not? So, it would give you a weight category range, it would give you a size range, it would give you a color. So, spirit bears, you know what spirit bears are, yes? Maybe spirit bears are um albino versions of grizzly bears that that, yeah and they live on the west coast of Canada. Now, technically, those could fall into cryptids if they had not been found and described, despite the fact that they probably share the exact same DNA as all the other grizzly bears in North America, Hmm. as would a grizzly bear that is a foot taller than the rest of them. But describing them that way would actually change their description in the scientific journals. Do you understand what I mean? Yes. So yeah. when I say a grizzly bear is something that weighs between 1,000 pounds and 2,000 pounds is a and is somewhere between six feet tall and seven feet tall, if I found a grizzly bear that was striped and was also eight feet tall and 3,000 pounds, this would be in fact a cryptid that we would need to now redescribe this entire species.
1: Yeah, where would that guy have come from?
0: Yeah, but that, it's more so just talking about if the DNA matches, we now re- have to re describe the species because there is an outlier.
1: Yeah, scientists.
0: So cryptids are not just in themselves their own species. They can be outliers within species that need to be redescribed. Okay. That is a very long and meticulous list. I found a list I like a little bit more just because it is shorter and makes more general groupings so that we can talk about cryptids in a little easier manner. So Chad Arment, who is an avid Bigfoot researcher, he came up a list of four different groups cryptids first and foremost animals that bear absolutely no resemblance to any known species past or present so that is where you're going to find locked bigfoot you're going to find mothman if you believe he falls into this group a lot of these other things number two is creatures that reportedly bear a strong resemblance to a species thought to be extinct this is where you're going to find the thylacine this is where you're going to find the ground sloth that I'll talk about in a bit because I love the ground sloth. And this is where you're going to find the Ethiopian deer. Simple enough. Number three, creatures that show up out of their accepted normal geographic range. So again, this is where you're going to find invasive species. This is where you're going to find the black cats of the UK and the Appalachias. And this is where you're going to find there's giant spiders that are found outside of their normal range. Yeah, there's actually, I'm going to probably skip over this but there's a lot of cryptid spider as well as accepted spiders right. that most people don't want to know about. So I think we're just going to skip over that. And yeah, let's and number four. And this is what I was talking about. Individuals within a species that are extraordinary in some way, size coloring or shape. Okay. Which I really love the fact that it could be a really fat version of that species <laughs> that, so, that needs to be cataloged. Oh just, boy, don't did he get like fat! <laughs> He's just Um, so fat we need to talk about this big boy
1: (laughs) that is impressive i do have (laughs)
0: scientifically impressive oh god (laughs) to be scientifically impressively fat that would just be something else
1: so eberhard argues for six exclusions from classification as a cryptid so one is insignificance. Cryptids must be big, weird, dangerous, or significant to humans in some way. This is kind of weird. Yeah. Significant.
0: No, it's exactly so just- you see a tiger and it's kind of chubby, but it's scientifically not fat enough to be significant to acknowledge.
1: Oh, in so other it's words, 20
0: is- pounds bigger than the norm or what we've catalogued, not necessarily worth changing the catalogs over.
1: Okay. okay. I thought it was just like this is just boring. So it doesn't need to be. It's lame.
0: Why do we talk about this guy?
1: Okay. Number two, lack of controversy. Someone needs to observe a mystery animal and someone else needs to discredit the sighting. Cryptozoologists function as interventionists between witnesses and skeptical scientists. That is something to put on a I, resume. Sure, if anyone's looking to beef it up for the cryptozoologist.
0: Well, and that is kind of a funny thing to say, because if it's just outright accepted as a cryptid when you write the paper, or as a creature, it's not a cryptid. He's yeah. really saying if somebody says that this thing doesn't exist once you write your scientific paper, then it's worth noting, which is a bizarre way to look at it.
1: It's getting kind of crazy in these ones. Uh, number three, erratics. So an out-of-place alligator that turns up in an odd spot, undoubtedly through hate, human agency, is not a zoological mystery. So those that alligators flush down so, toilets.
0: Or El Chapo. he had He had hippos in his compound in Florida, I believe, or Mexico. I can't, but if and one of those were to escape and people were to say they saw it or they saw this hippo out, out of its natural habitat in Mexico that's or in a Florida. a real hippo,
1: not a cryptid. Yeah,
0: that, that's, no, it's not a cryptid. That is not something's natural habitat. Or do you remember Um, in the Toronto Zoo had two capybaras escape and they were on the lam for at least a month.
1: Oh, those guys and are so cool. Were,
0: I love you, yeah, Cappy. Yeah, I know. And those wouldn't be cryptids. They would just be missing animals. Like, it's, it's kind of, it's a weird other grayer that we need to talk about of creatures outside their normal habitat versus creatures expanding their habitat. That makes sense, right? Yeah, I got it. Okay.
1: Number four is bizarre humans. For example, zombies.
0: Uh yeah, and that's what we were just talking about. Is the point of what is a cryptid? There is a paranormal versus terrestrial chalk that we haven't had. There's also the upper level, higher level being versus a creature uh, discussion that needs to be had. We're on the line of anything human like is not a cryptid.
1: See, and that's where he also said. Where is it? Didn't he say something about? Seemingly paranormal or supernatural entities with some animal-like, animal-like characteristics. So what is
0: it? Well, that's going to be the hard part. And he, he's trying to draw a fine line of what is a cryptid and what's not. It's really yeah. hard to do that. So, like, the chupacabra, like kind of falls into that category but again there's a whole bunch of chupacabra sightings that also have ufos involved so yeah. what do you put that as chupacabra uh, being uh spanish for goat sucker it is a dog-like creature that sucks the blood of goats and other livestock in south america
1: point five of the six exclusions from classification as a cryptid is an angel or demon oh the paranormal Fair. or supernatural.
0: Yeah, but that again, it actually runs into the same problem as that one we just talked about.
1: Yeah, it does. That would also be there. A paranormal or supernatural is admitted only if it has an animal shape, a werewolf sighting, which might involve a real dog or wolf or a mystery canine.
0: Oh, and honestly, it might just be in these a big group of cryptids that at least get talked about in today's day and age are animals with mange where they've lost all their fur and they look Hmm. free. And that is, uh, yeah, that's, that's that whole, like there are werewolf sightings still all over the world, but the whole thing is, is what are they they actually saying? Yeah.
1: Because what's that? I I wonder if they're human,
0: but yeah, it really depends on if they are humans who've, yeah, I guess if they have the intellectual level or at least the cognizance of humans, they wouldn't be considered cryptids. It's a whole other category.
1: Yeah. And then number six is aliens. So unless such extraterrestrials arrived a long time ago and thus classify his residents.
0: Ah, uh, so possibly chupacabras.
1: Yes. yes. Or Sasquatch. Okay. Or anything yes. we've talked
0: Or, yeah, literally anything, because we don't know what came <laughs> so, here.
1: Technically.
0: Isn't it? There is at least some belief out there that octopi or uh, sorry, octopuses, because it comes from Greek, they came here from another world because they are so alien to every other life on Earth. And they tech they they aren't in the fossil record because they have no bones. Oh, now, yeah, those are the categories that several people have tried to put together of what a cryptid is. Now, I, I think it is a little hard to talk about it without putting into context what we're talking about within the scientific method. So within science, they they acknowledge fully that there are at least millions of species out there that we have not genetically cataloged nor acknowledged to exist. And every year every year there are thousands of species that are discovered for the first time scientifically and just i was trying to find for 2020 what that number was and i couldn't find it what i did find was in 2020 just with california's academy of sciences they discovered or described 213 new species for the first time ever of that 101 of them were ants 22 were crickets, 15 were fish, 11 were geckos, 11 were sea slugs, 11 were flowering plants, 8 beetles, 8 fossils, echinoderms, 7 spiders, 5 snakes, 2 skinks, 2 aphids, 2 eels, 1 moss, 1 frog, 1 fossil amphibian, 1 seahorse, 1 fossil scallop, 1 sea biscuit, 1 fossil crinoid, and 1 coral. Honestly, I wish I could have found the number for the entire world, but in at least california they discovered 213 new species that year
1: that's california alone
0: wow congrats
1: to those cryptids becoming real animals
0: yeah and but the thing when i talked about those creatures you're going to realize that most of those were not big in fact the biggest one you might say out of that group is probably frogs maybe geckos maybe it doesn't say
1: what the fossils were so maybe those might be the biggest
0: yeah, but what we're discovering a lot of the time are not substantially large creatures. That doesn't mean they don't exist, but there there is a lot of pushback, especially when you come into bigger and bigger creatures existing in the wild that it's that you need more and more proof that these actually exist out there that really is science's biggest biggest pushback is with these large creatures and you're going to see the biggest arguments of well if we haven't discovered them to date they either one have a small breeding group so they shouldn't exist for that long of time or two the ecosystem just doesn't have enough biomass to support something else living in there and eating from it And then the third thing they're going to push back with is specifically about the fossil record with if these things exist out there, why is there no fossil record? At least explaining how that creature got to that point. Yeah. Are we out there
1: in the dark forest like digging for fossils though?
0: And that's the, I actually do have a question for you. When do you think we discovered fossils of chimpanzees?
1: Mm, I'm going to say long ago. 1700s okay
0: Okay. so the first fossils from a chimpanzee were discovered in 2005
1: are you serious yeah we
0: so Uh, yeah this is no this is something that a lot of people look at to say a lot of the places that we're looking at for cryptids they are in these very efficient ecosystems that use every piece of calorie in them to produce something and i i think i use the term calorie correct there that Everything in itself has calories, so we need to use everything. Chimpanzees live in an ecosystem that is dense and rich and, for the most part, hard for humans to reach. And therefore, it's going to not create fossils. Everything in the body is going to be used. And Hmm. even today, we don't have a lot of chimpanzee fossils. It's just the fact that we found one in 2005. Wow, interesting. And fossils are the exception. They're not the norm. Like, you have to die in a very unique way for bones to be kept in a fossilized manner so we're not saying that we're
1: mummified
0: yeah exactly you're more or less mummified to a certain extent the fact that we don't have fossils for a lot of these creatures there are many creatures alive today that we do not have fossils for either because one they don't have bones or two they live in a very particular ecosystem that isn't conducive to the creation of fossils so those those are generally what we're going to say about the for's and against of a lot of these bigger creatures that people say should exist out there or believe exist out there, the cryptids. The last thing I want to touch on today is an argument that I've seen for the research of cryptozoology and cryptids in general. And it is a very interesting one. It comes from Cosmos magazine, which is this I found the one you
1: have sitting really on your coffee table.
0: I wish. No. This is a different one. This
1: would be a good collector one.
0: When we're looking at cryptids in general, generally why we haven't found them is because there's not, well, partially because they fall into an area of the world. It's hard to get to partially because they're better at maneuvering than us or in that their element where we would like to discover them. But also a big part is because there's not a lot of them out there. And generally when there's not a lot of a creature out there, we classify them as either endangered or uh, Uh, near extinction or threatened. And when we are able to do that, we're able to take steps to actually do anything to protect these creatures. And that is with cryptids. A huge part of it is that we can't do anything to preserve these species because we can't prove they exist. Hmm. When we're actually looking at what is considered the father of cryptozoology, Bernard Hoovelman's. He actually got into cryptozoology because he believed in the Loch Ness Monster, but why he wanted to actually get into cryptozoology is so that we could ensure the protection of the Loch Ness Monster, the fact that. A creature that size living in that lake it would surely need some sort of intervention from either government or other bodies to ensure that it could continue to exist is that not fair to say
1: yes that is very fair to say i like him that being said and nessie has also yeah. proved that he does not need our help if anything he wants us to leave him alone
0: <laughs> yeah but that's that whole thing is if we're going to classify him as an endangered species we could at least legislate to say just leave this lake alone it's snessies
1: yeah and a lot of right- people
0: will get into it that why they're actually in cryptozoology is so that they can ensure that we acknowledge the species and make sure it's preserved for future humanity yeah when you're looking at a lot of these we're going to talk about this in a bit hmm. that is where the actual cryptozoologists are coming from and even when you look at Bigfoot, there is a sect of Bigfoot researchers who are trying to discover them so that we can ensure that their corridors through North America are not disturbed by human interaction, yeah, such as logging or any other industrial uh, use we make of their land. Another case that this Cosmos article makes for why cryptozoology should be embraced is because cryptozoologists actually look at cultural stories for discovery of these creatures. They're not just looking at, do we have DNA? Okay, we don't have DNA, so let's just kind of drop it for now. And when you're looking at it, we're talking about all these other groups like when we're talking about the kangaroos they weren't discovered by scientists they were discovered by other people who were able to bring back either a live specimen or a dead specimen of these creatures Hmm. their whole thing is these people are looking at a different set of things that aren't necessarily wrong they're just different than what science is used to looking at and when we're looking at these harder to reach places maybe that's what we should be looking at when it's not human's natural home Most importantly, if we actually do need to be helping these creatures survive, maybe we should be looking to cryptozoologists to actually help us reach bringing these species to a point where we can protect them.
1: Yeah, that's a very good point.
0: And they bring up a very interesting case study here, and it is a ox that was discovered in Vietnam in the mid 90s. It was discovered through word of mouth stories that were passed along through Vietnam's villages, along with horns that were bought at marketplaces. And you would think Vietnam is a place that we were, we have been, we have been for a long time. We fought a war there, a very brutal war. Mm -hmm. And they still, decades later, discovered a new species that is not insignificant in size. (laughs) It was in the Vu Quang Nature Reserve. That they discovered this new type of ox that is jungle dwelling
1: interesting and so i
0: can't i can't find the name of the creature it is a very good it's a nice read on cosmos the magazine's website cosmosmagazine.com advocating for the use of cryptozoology in the scientific method
1: that's cool is there a petition i can sign
0: there unfortunately is not but there is a beautiful website called cryptidarchives.fandom.com that has a very extensive list of all cryptids out there in the world, from the mundane to the bizarre. For whether it's in your region or you're looking for a specific type of cryptid, It does have all of them and it does cited sources when it can. And if you're looking to look further into specific areas or types of creatures, I would suggest at least going to this website and taking a look around. I was looking at Canada's today and it has some fantastic ones. And I also realized that there's something called the British Columbia scientific cryptozoology club.
1: Oh,
0: or at least existed in 2006. So that that is at least when we're talking about cryptids, why we should actually be embracing this at least somewhat to bring about a movement to protect species. And we know for a fact that there are going to be many species that we never get to catalog that will be extinct before we acknowledge them because of the fact that there are so many species out there that we haven't found. And let's face it, humans aren't going to stop humaning anytime soon.
1: No, as we've seen as humans.
0: Yeah. But we saved it until this point there are a few species out there that science has taken a look at right now to actually bring about that are significant in size uh chelsea do you know about any of them i'm not sure okay well i know there is a big movement in australia for the thylacine in tasmania the tasmanian tiger the thylacine awareness group in of australia that is resided over by neil waters he has been putting together a rebuttal to experts like Nick Mooney, who say that this creature can't exist anymore. And he has been finding stool samples, uh, paw prints on the ground. He has pictures of this creature and all but unfortunately DNA evidence, which is absolutely what basically science requires at this point in time to rediscover this creature.
1: He just needs to walk into the woods with some syringes and <laughs> go with stabbing
0: Go with stabbing <laughs> You'll also find (laughs) out that way. you won't need to bring a gun because you will find out if the creature is peaceful or not.
1: Yes,
0: (laughs) you will. I also I really like the Ethiopian deer, which is just you know a lot about uh, sorry, I shouldn't say you know a lot about Africa. You know of Africa and its species. If you mean that, then yes, I
1: know a lot.
0: Yes. From Zebra to whatever comes before that. But, sorry, deer is not something that is really found in Africa. To find something described as a deer is outside of the normal and is something that is fully not acknowledged, but there's something called the Ethiopian deer that is looked at in um, Africa. There is also something called the the morosi and i don't know if i'm pronouncing correctly but it's more or less a spotted lion that lives in the slopes of the mountain region it has been looked at before people believe it might be a hybrid of a leopard and a lion but Mm. unfortunately we've never gotten to a point to actually find a specimen to actually say what it is but it's a cryptid that's out there and it has been looked at for a long time called the spotted lion or the morosi in North and South America, particularly South America and Patagonia, what a big one people look at is called the ground sloth or sloth foot which is a subreddit if you want to look more into what a giant ground sloth looks like there is an individual out there by the name of forest gallant he works for animal planet i believe he has looked into a lot of these declared extinct but he believes still exists creatures out there he was on joe rogan experience episode one four zero three where he talks about his look into different creatures that have not been cataloged He talks about giant caiman in the Amazon. He talks about going to look in Patagonia for the ground sloth. I believe he talks about finding certain types of deer on different islands. I haven't watched it in a while, unfortunately, but it is a great listen if anybody's looking for more to look into for already declared extinct creatures or the more ordinary of the cryptids.
1: I just looked up slothfoot and only pictures of slothweed came up. Oh,
0: interesting. But yeah, the subreddit slothfoot is out there for ground sloth specifically. It is believed in the Argentinian region of Patagonia that it is out there still because it is a very devoid of human existence area of the world mm-hmm. and one of the last. So that is good to hear. Yeah, that's what we can tell you about cryptids. They're pseudoscience, but they are also a very valued part of the scientific method. There are things that have led to discoveries and also that is serving an important part of the process moving forward.
1: Yeah, I learned some new things.
0: Good. And moving forward, we are going to talk about more specific parts of cryptozoology. I believe we want to talk about the wild men, which is always a good thing. Uh, Anything else you're hoping to talk about, Chels?
1: Uh, you know what? I think you can hold over to another episode because I think we're on pre- going on a while now.
0: Yeah, that's fair.
1: So I can bring it up in a, no, I can start off next episode with it.
0: Sounds facts. good.
1: It's just All random right. facts.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you on the next episode where we take a deeper dive into this beautiful science of cryptids.
1: Yeah, that need protecting.
0: They need the protected. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to journey to the fringe. Uh, We are a new podcast and we would very much so appreciate if you could like subscribe, share, and if possible, provide a five-star review or some sort of feedback if you feel like there's anything we could be doing better. But five-star review is the best thing you can do for us as it does help. Unfortunately, in the world of algorithms.
1: Yes. Please and thank you. And you can follow us on social media at Journey to the Fringe. We don't have all of them, so try searching it. Instagram, we're on Facebook right now. We have a subreddit. And if there's anything you want to hear in the future, feedback, anything, you can email us at Journey to the Fringe at gmail.com. If there's something we're missing but, uh, that you'd like to see us on, please let us know. We only know what we know. So we're only in so many places.
0: Also, if you feel that we have gotten anything wrong, please let us know there as well. As we would really like to have the best information possible. We are Mm -hmm. only as good as our research. And if you can provide anything further, it's a real help.
1: Or if you want to share anything, we will definitely, we're open to shares.
0: So yes, thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.